Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you here uh, today. And I know I say this from time to time, but especially on a day like this, I know where it's kind of crowded and there's so many people here and maybe some of you uh, came in late and you were a little rushed or anything like that. We really believe, we really believe that it is no accident that you are here today. God brought you to this place for a very specific reason. And this morning, he sees you. He sees you and he knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows what you bring in here with you this morning and he knows what you need to hear. And Jesus has this powerful statement for us today in our scripture that he is the resurrection and the life. And that's not just a statement that is is old somewhere in the past. There's a whole lot of resurrection going on around this place. Amen? There's a lot of new life. There's a lot of exciting things going on. I was just thinking about this past week uh, and the exciting week uh, that it's been. Some of you aren't around all the time during the week, so just to give you, uh, get you up to speed, this, this space right here has been used for so many different things uh, this week. A week ago, uh, yesterday, we had uh, one of our first weddings uh, here in this building. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Uh, and then last week, we had worship. Monday, there's all sorts of classes going on. Tuesday, the band uh, was, uh, you know, rocking out. I mean, rehearsing uh, in here and, and having a party. Uh, and Wednesday, uh, the, the building is filled with three different classes and discipleship groups of those of you growing in your faith. Thursday night, uh, our Wiz Kids program continues to grow, and there's tons of you all over the building and kids getting mentored and tutored uh, all over the building. Friday night, right where you're sitting, uh, we had a couple's date night and had about 20 couples here uh, that went out uh, and and had some intentional time to invest in their marriage. And today, we've got a baptism. We've got children's ministry going on. We've got sausage at breakfast club upstairs. We've got God. We've got worship. If there's any more, I might just start doing backflips up here. I'm just a little excited uh, today. There's a lot going on. Not to mention, 10 and 0, people. 10 and 0, okay? Just saying. For those of you that don't understand that, that's okay. I'm just let me have my moment. Just let me have my moment. <sighs> Did I mention that we're 10 and 0? Did I mention that? Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. We should probably get on with the sermon. So speaking of football, a long, long time ago, I was in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade. And it, when you're in seventh grade, it's not like college football where everybody kind of knows what they're doing or even high school. Nobody knows what they're doing in seventh grade football. And so uh, there, we, we played and we practiced, and there was a gentleman, a guy in my grade, and his name was Carl Carlson. What his parents were thinking, I don't know. Uh, but he was friends with Tom Thompson and Sam Sampson and Pete Peterson. So <laughs> Carl was more of a math kind of nerd than a football player, but in seventh grade, everybody goes out for football. He doesn't really understand how to play it, and for some reason, one day at practice, he ended up at quarterback, and we did this play that we ran the triple option in our offensive system, if you can call it that, in seventh grade, and so uh, in seventh grade football, the main goal is just to keep your pants up. That's the main goal, just no uniform malfunctions, and this one day in practice, we're running this play, and I, I played quarterback and a couple other guys, and Carl was one of those guys. And he got the ball, and you know in football, the goal when you're on the defense is to tackle the person that has the ball. The purpose is to get in the way of the person that has the ball and stop them and tackle them and beat them into the ground. And that is the goal of football. Doesn't that sound exciting? And so Carl has the football, and he's coming around the end, and there's all the guys blocking for him, and then he like 
comes around the corner, and there was this guy named Eric that was in seventh grade as well, and he weighed about 250 pounds in seventh grade. I weighed 74. So uh, that's just to give you an idea, and Carl weighed about the same. Carl's got his big, you know, bottle cap glasses on, you know, this big deal. He's got this big old helmet, the jersey that's too big for him. He has no idea what he's doing, and just he's about to get his world rocked. And he comes around, and everybody sees big Eric coming for Carl, and he's just going to plow him his face into the ground, and he'll be an afterthought. And he comes around the corner, and instead of getting plowed over, he comes, and Eric's running towards him, and everybody's converging on Carl, and the whole practice is watching Carl, and right before this big ogre of a guy comes and smashes into the ground, Carl stops with the football, and all practice stops, and all the coaches stop, and everything freezes, and he looks right at this big defensive lineman and says, hey, you're in my way. And we all just rolled over laughing. Like we had to stop practice because it was so, who says that? It's football. You're supposed to get in their way, right? Carl didn't understand that this is just like a part of the game. People are going to get in your way. There will always be obstacles in your way. It's the nature of the game. And yet I wonder, folks, I wonder if when it comes to life, if we are the opposite in the way that we think. Like, you and I are almost like Carl. Like, we come around the corner, and one day, we face obstacles in our life. Something's going on, and you don't know how to handle it. Life throws you a curveball. Opposition comes your way. And we think, like, wait a minute. Isn't believing in Jesus supposed to make all of this go away? There's not supposed to be big, ogre defensive linemen in seventh grade football. But there is. There's not supposed to be pain and difficulty and brokenness and hurt for Christians, is there? Well, there is. Jesus even says it himself in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. So the question is not when, it's not if, but when. Life throws us a curveball, a difficulty that we're facing, a battle that we can't overcome, and we come around the corner and we say, Jesus, it's in my way. Why can't you do something about it? Why can't you take care of that? Jesus, I thought you'd take it all the way. And maybe for you this morning, whatever that obstacle is, maybe it's that never-ending job hunt. Because all you want to do is get back on your feet. Maybe for some of you, it's the job that you're in that is so stressful and it just beats you down every day and just sucks the life out of you. Maybe it's that difficult relationship that you're in right now. Maybe it's that pinch that you're in financially right now. Maybe it's simply your own sin and your own habits and struggles that keep creeping up and getting in the way of who you want to become. Many times we face obstacles, and if we just give it time, they resolve themselves. Or read one of those books you get at Target that's the seven ways to overcome anything that life throws your way and be happy. Like Whatever those books are, and some of them are great, but my question this morning is, what happens when you and I face obstacles in our life that are way bigger and way more insurmountable than a big football player? What happens when you and I face things in our lives that there is no way that we can conquer and overcome on our own strength? And so many of those things are in here. And all of us bring those things in with us this morning. Whether you realize it or not, we just can't see it because we hide really well, especially as Christians sometimes. But they're in there. 
There's these things we can't overcome. And if you've ever felt that way, today is a story for you. You are going to identify a lot with this story. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up, if you're not there already, John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, again, take one. Take one, take one, take one from the bookshelves. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to have one of those. We're continuing on in a series called The Signs of the Times. Everybody say signs. And all these signs are pointing to Jesus. Almost every story in the Gospel of John is not just there for the face value of what it is. There is an upper story and a lower story. Everybody say upper. Everybody say lower. The lower story is what we see. The lower story is all these, Jesus heals a blind man. Jesus uh, meets with a Samaritan woman. Jesus heals Lazarus. That's the lower story. But on the upper story, Jesus is telling a story of who he is. And all these signs point to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is God. And when we arrive on the scene today, these characters are about to face an obstacle in the story that is far beyond their power to remove. We pick up the story, John chapter 11. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. This is verse 2. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Listen to this line now. Lord, the one you love is sick. So what do we know just from this first couple verses? Lazarus is not one more face in the crowd, just like you're not one more face in the crowd. It's quite the opposite. In fact, do you know that Jesus had friends? Do you know that Jesus, in his humanness, longed for relationship just like you and I long for relationship? And he was really close with this guy named Lazarus. Now, what would you do if you heard if one of your closest friends was sick and near death and you were in a different town? What are you going to do? You're going to go, right? Are you going to say, I'll wait a while? finish my Netflix show that I'm watching? No, you're going to go right away. You're going to get in your car and go and drop everything. Certainly, Jesus would do that. I mean, Jesus is a good friend, right? Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, now let us go back to Judea. Say what? Everybody say, say what? That's what I want to say when Jesus does some things in the Bible. It don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Jesus, what are you thinking? You're God. You can, you can intervene. This is, your, this is Lazarus. This isn't just some random person. This is your buddy, and you can heal him. You could change his story. You could save him. But he doesn't. Yet. Look at verse 17. Skip down in the story. It's a long story. Verse 17. Jesus finally gets there. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Uh, Jesus, you're late. We could have used you like four days ago, right? Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus. Some translations say, if you would have been here. Some translations say, if only you would have been here. How many times have you said that in your life? Especially to God. If only I had a job. 
if only that divorce wouldn't happen. If only you would have healed my parent. If only you would have been there. If only you would have intervened. We're not the only ones to ask this question. It's been asked for a long, long time. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, if you would have got here earlier, there would not be a giant stone rolled in front of my brother's tomb to signify (laughs) death, finality. That's it. That's the end of the story. And it doesn't even want to stand up. It's so big. There is a giant boulder in front of the tomb. Speaking of obstacles, people don't just move stones. It's done. It's over with. And at this point in the story, the crowd there at the, essentially the funeral has to be wondering, what's he going to do now? Like I've heard stories and Jesus has been gaining popularity. He can heal a blind guy. He can heal a leper. He can, he can forgive sins. Are you kidding? Do you think he can actually bring somebody back from the dead? This is like weird sci-fi, unsolved mysteries kind of stuff, right? Can Jesus, like, what's he going to do now? And the lingering question is, does Jesus even have power over death? Because if he has, just go with me for a second, if he has power over death, what doesn't he have power over? What obstacle can he not overcome in your life? Is Jesus capable of removing boulders? Is he still capable of moving boulders? boulders. And that was the question that in June of 2008 was sort of the lingering question out there for a courageous group of hopesters that at the same time that they were praying laid their hands on a map of the city of Des Moines and said, God, where are you calling us? And they said, one, two, three, and they stuck their hands on the map to where our next campus was going to be. And all their hands overlapped downtown. Seven and a half years ago, that happened. And I imagine that the first thought that went through their minds was, how in the world are we going to do that? Can hope really, this, this big mega church from the suburbs, really start a campus in the heart of the city? How are we going to do that? And today I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. You'll notice we have some mile markers up here today. We've got launch. We've got where we're at today and where we're moving towards in the future. So if you would imagine this is just a giant timeline, and this is seven and a half years from launch into where we're at today. But in June of 2008, after months of prayer and planning, maybe, I don't know, 60, 75 of us gathered officially for the first time at Hubble Elementary School, and we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I mean, we were fired up. We're all like, we're going to plant a brand new church in the city, and we've got ugly maroon padded chairs, but hey, we've got padded chairs, and we've got our little band, and people, we've got donut holes, so what can stop us? Seriously, right? Keep the kids happy at least, right? What else could you possibly need to do ministry in the city? But it didn't take long for us to realize that God has not placed us here to have a show every week or to count how many people that are here. God was placing us here to have our hearts broken. 
Because it hadn't taken long for us to realize that when a, f- a few miles, and the same exists for us today, a few miles of the target area of our church where we worshiped every week, there's many people that don't have proper housing. We know that. There's children who have literally been abandoned by their parents and have nowhere to go and are walking around the city. There are refugees, families, refugee families from all over the world that have been displaced to Des Moines, Iowa because they are from war-torn countries. There are more children than ever in this city without fathers. There are homes right next to existing churches and those homes are falling apart piece by piece, inside and out. As well as there are people all over this neighborhood that have either been burned out on church or see absolutely no relevance for the church. They, they like Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with the church. And they are disconnected. And what we discovered is that we face boulders as well. Somewhere along the line here between launch and as we started running to the future to today, there's a giant obstacle in our way. There is a giant boulder in our way and we can't overcome it on our own. And these, these obstacles, all these things I mentioned, are giant boulders that are standing in the way of us moving forward with God's vision for us as a church and getting in the way of people reconnecting to the church, seeing it as relevant for their lives, and most importantly, people getting connected to Jesus. Because that's why we exist. This has nothing to do with Lutheran Church of Hope, and it has everything to do with building God's kingdom in the city of Des Moines. Amen? And that was the goal. That was the vision, but there were obstacles in our way. And so we took a step back and we started to dream. And we started to pray because we knew that these boulders were too big to move on our own. We know that only God can heal. Only God can change people. Only God can transform people's hearts. And we started to ask the question, what if church could look different? What if church was a place that you went to on a Sunday morning and you were just as excited as you were walking into a concert venue to see your favorite band. And I'm not talking about all the excitement and buzz that's going on out here. I'm talking about what's going on in your soul. I get to go to worship today. I get to go to my small group. I get to grow in my faith. I get to come and be a part of this community and see what God's going to do next. And we started to dream, and we started to put a picture together. What is, what is God calling us to, to, to look like and like, five or seven years. How are we going to get there? And so we literally hit the streets as we moved to where we're at today. And we prayed and we served. And for five years, we poured our hearts into the city in any way that we could. Some of you are getting a little nostalgic looking at some of those pictures. It's been hard work. It hasn't been easy. But no journey worth taking is easy. And God did amazing things. And we pushed, and we pushed, and we pushed, and maybe we moved the boulder mm, that much. Because we think we're pretty good. We think we have what it takes, but it's still there. There's things we can't overcome on our own. And by 2013, it had become clear that when we remember when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't pop into people's lives for an hour on Sunday morning and then leave. He stayed. Everybody say stay. Stay. That might be the most important thing that we've learned in seven and a half years. Stay. Mission 
isn't an in and out thing. Mission is where you stay. And you convince the people that you love them with your lives. And so we stayed and we moved into the neighborhood and, and, and we realized that not having a 24-7 facility was getting in the way. It was the giant boulder that was getting in the way of us moving into the future and being fully present and reaching people with God's love. Were we a real church already? Absolutely. We started building a church on June 6, 2008, not when we started building a building. We're a real church, but having a permanent home would allow us to carry out God's mission way more effectively. And so moving ahead a couple years into 2013, after much prayer and discernment, we launched a giving campaign called Building Hope Together. Let's say that together. Building Hope Together. Building Hope Together. This is far more than just about building a building. It's about building hope together. And we countered a building that didn't even look that good, actually. It looked like a car dealership, because that's what you're sitting in. And we threw out this vision, and we said, you know, if Jesus can show up in a feeding trough in a manger in the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem, I wonder if he could show up in a used car lot. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. Famous last words, right? And here we are, and two months later, we had done a giving campaign, and two months later, thanks to your generosity, you pledged or gave over $830,000 to that campaign. Praise God for that. Amen? Praise God for that. But here's the thing. I get excited about that. You know what I get even more excited about? Those of you that had nothing to give financially, you poured your hearts into this place. And there's literally blood, sweat, and tears in this building from some of you. Hopefully not in more, more uh, sweat than blood, but... 75% 75% of what you see here was done by you. The church is not something that's handed to you. The church is something that we take ownership of together. And this is our church. It's not Pastor John's church. It's our church that we are stewards of. It's God's church that he's entrusted to us. And then on December 7th, just a little over a year. Can you believe that? We haven't even been here a year. On December 7th, we moved in here and we were home for Christmas. We were home for Christmas. And God says, never doubt what I can do. Never doubt what I can do. I can take boulders and move them out of the way so that you as a church can run from where you were to where you're at today, that you can run unhindered. And here we are. God says, never doubt what I can do. Moving boulders, not just having a facility, but Moving from that to that. And that's because of what God did through you. And as you look at that, and as we sit here today almost a year later, I remember shortly before we moved in, somebody asked me, John, what's your biggest fear of being a church that has a building? What is your biggest fear? And I stepped back, and the first thing that came to my mind, I said, honestly, that we would forget who we are. That we would forget that it's not about this place. It's not just even about those of us that are already here. We exist for the people that aren't here yet. Amen? That's who we are. That's what our mission says. And I said my biggest fear is that we would become complacent. 
and that we would forget that God had like removed this boulder and that we would just be sitting here complacent going, yeah, I wonder if God's going to do anything again. Has God ever shown up? And meanwhile, we're just growing safe in our little comfort zones here in our little building because now we're a real church. Never mind all those things that are still going on out there. But here's the thing. I'll be honest. I really wasn't worried at all because you're you. And you're an awesome church. And you're a great church. And we've watched God move boulders together. And just get this. Just I want to throw out a few things just from this past year of the way that he continues to move boulders. I was getting a little nostalgic this past week and I was kind of perusing the, the Hope Des Moines Facebook page and it was evident that God knew what he was doing. In just a year that we've been in this building, God has doubled the size of our worshiping community. We've had over 200 adults go deeper in their faith through various discipleship classes and groups. We packaged over 75,000 meals for people that are hungry all over the world right here in this building. Our breakfast club ministry continues to expand and overflow over 100 guests every week receiving breakfast and having Bible study together. And just recently, our WizKids program has taken off. And in the last few weeks, we've had over 40 new people volunteer as mentors to pour into these kids' lives. Praise God for that. Amen? That's a year. And that's just skimming the surface, and it would be so easy to stop there. It would be so easy to be satisfied and say, great, we're safe, we're comfortable. That's right where Jesus wants us, right? But that's not the kind of God that we serve. Because here's the thing. I think our best days are that way. Yes, let's remember where we came from, let's remember what God has done, but let's remember that God still moves boulders, and that our best days are out there ahead of us. But our work is not done. And so now we look to the future. And new ministries and new outreach and new things that God wants to do in this building. And when I say all this, some of you are thinking, oh, I get it. Lutheran Church of Hope, you're that big church. Bigger's better, right? Absolutely not. There are so many tiny churches that are way more faithful. <laughs> way more faithful than churches that are three times their size. It has nothing to do with the amount of people. We love that there's a lot of people at Lutheran Church of Hope because people represent hearts and those hearts have been connected to Jesus and we'll always celebrate that. Bigger's not better when it comes to church. Smaller's not better. Better is better. And by better, we mean being more effective in ministry for the kingdom of God. Amen? About a month ago, my wife Tiffany and I took a retreat to this uh, kind of cabin retreat area in Missouri, and we were just doing some reading and praying and reflecting, and just out of nowhere, because Tiffany's so good like this, we were just talking about things in the church, and I was just beating my head against a wall, and like, oh, we can't figure this out, and there's these boulders we can't move, and there's these obstacles and all this stuff, and she said, John, what's your dream for the church? Like, if you just had to tell me right now, somebody just asked you, what is your dream for us as a church? And I said, okay, I, I'll take a shot at it. And it was almost like it was just bubbling up inside of me and just waiting for somebody to ask. And I grabbed a nap, no, I grabbed a paper towel and a Sharpie. <laughs> and I scribbled down this phrase, and it's up on the screen. This just like, blah, just like came right out of me. This is 
what I listen to you and I listen to our community, this is what I hear. Could you imagine a community where thousands of the broken and the hurting and the complacent and even those burned out on church could find compassion and healing and grace and be transformed and sent out each week with a renewed passion to reach out to the city with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ? And I looked up from Tiffany, I looked up and I said to her, the first words out of my mouth, I could give the rest of my life to that. That's worth giving my life to. That's worth giving the rest of my life to that vision. Not because it's my vision or because it's your vision, because it's God's vision for us as a church. What if, what if we could be that kind of community? We have a lot of work to do. So let's go. Let's run. Let's get after it. Let's go. It should be easy, right? We can go from today into tomorrow into the future just easy. And there's not only microphones in the way, There's another boulder in the way. Wait a minute, I thought we just got rid of one. We did. It's a good thing that God still moves boulders. As my buddy Carl would say, hey, you're in my way. Not the only obstacle in our way these days, but certainly a large one is our debt, is our mortgage that we need to pay down in order to be completely free. And that's why there's that handout on your chair today. And I want to point out a couple things because I love talking about money. I don't, actually. This is the part of the sermon that I was not looking forward to. But let me tell you this. As you can see on the back of your sheet there, we're well on our way. To this day, $527,000 has been given by you. Praise God for that. That is really, really exciting. Absolutely. And that is, that is two years into a three-year campaign that continues through 2016. Every time I see that, I don't see money. I see boulders getting moved. I see lives being changed. And yet, facilities are not cheap. And our projections show that, as you can see there, that our current debt to be around $1.2 million, that's a, a loan that we took out in a prayerful uh, way, in a fiscally responsible way that we could afford. And yet, at the same time, I hate debt. Just about as much as I hate boulders. And the reality is, we can stare at it all day long, but it exists. You know what God sees when he sees boulders? I'm going to get rid of that. Just like I did with Lazarus and just like I did for my son. It's a pretty big boulder. And so our leaders got together this past week and just to fire you all up and just to kind of reignite that vision, we came up with a brand new slogan uh, for the last year of our Building Hope Together campaign. You ready for this? Just a prayerfully considered it, just a strong, theologically correct, biblical slogan, just guilt-free, pressure-free campaign that we're in. Here's the slogan. You ready for it? Fork over the cash. <laughs> no? I thought people would cheer for that. I thought people, I, I, I thought you, I'm okay, maybe we need to rework that, you guys. I, I don't know what's, I'm just kidding. If it works, great. Fork over the cash. We'll take it. But here's the reality. 
it's the next boulder. This one's gone. That one exists. And I can't help but think of the interest that we pay on that loan every single month if that interest could somehow be freed up and go right back outside these walls. And that for every dollar that comes in this building, a dollar goes out. That we only keep what we absolutely need here to run the ministries inside this building and the rest of it goes out. That we would stop keeping it to ourselves but go out. Even just the ability to be debt-free and to be able to run unhindered from today into the future and to get there, there is a giant boulder standing in our way. And I'll be honest with you today. I, I mean, I picked it up, but you know what I really want to do? Someday. Not 30 years from now. Maybe next year. Maybe sooner than that. I'm going to pick this thing up. And some of you aren't going to want to sit in the front row that day. And I'm just going to chuck it, and we're going to be done with it. Amen? We're going to be done with it, and it's going to be gone. But it's not gone. It's there today. And so what role can you play? I want to make this as simple and easy as possible. Three things. Number one, discover. Everybody say discover. If you want to learn more about the campaign, head on up. Uh, We'll have a little info meeting after the service today. There's also... Uh, one this coming Thursday as well. If you want to know more, again, please, I would encourage you, if you were not here when we launched this campaign, which half of you weren't, praise God, uh, amazing, uh, grab one of these. This will get you up to speed on everything I've been talking about and how you can get involved. Number two, pray. I had so many people come up to me at this campaign, oh, the church is talking about money again. I'm sure there's going to be somebody from the church that's going to come to my house and sit in my living room and tell me how bad of a Christian I am and that I need to give more. And if you don't give more, well, you're not really going to be welcomed at the church and we're just going to heap a bunch of guilt and pressure on you. We didn't do that. Instead, we just said, pray about it. Pray about it. No, 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 seriously, John, that's a big boulder. Like, this was a big boulder. What's the bottom line? I mean, really? How do we know if we're successful or not? Pray about it. That's not up to me. That's between you and God. And as 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, it says, give joyfully. And if there's any ounce of you that cannot give joyfully, hear me say this loud and clear. Don't give. If there is an ounce of you that feels some sort of guilt or pressure, any kind of reluctance, don't give. But if you go home and you pray about it this week, and next week we're going to have what's called Recommitment Sunday on Sunday, November 22nd. We do this every year of the campaign. An opportunity to recast the vision and say, this is where we're going, this is what we're about, and an opportunity for you to give. And if God lays something on your heart, be obedient to it. And trust him with it. And here's the thing. Some of you are looking at that envelope going, well, I'm not going to show up next week because... <laughs> my car's broken down. I can't, even, I can't give any money to the church. We know that. But you have you. And you, just as you are, in all your brokenness and all your weakness today, is the best gift you could ever give to this church, whether you can write a check or not. And so on that card, you'll notice there is a place for your treasure, yes. But there's also a place for your time and talents. And next week, we're going to do a special offering, and every single one of you has something to give. And so let's pack the place again next week because God is calling all of us to give something and to be a part of that. And here's the thing. 
A couple years ago, I would have dreaded this part of the sermon. Because this is the part where the pastor asks for your money, and I'm just going to be one more pastor at one more church that all they do is talk about money, and there's just more guilt and more pressure, and of all places, the last place we need more guilt is coming from the church. But a couple years ago when we did this campaign, I, asked, I prayed about it, I asked God to soften my heart, and I heard loud and clear, John, this is ultimately not about buildings, it's not about budgets, it's not about goals and dreams. God says it's about my dream for the city. God says it's about my dream for this church and for you, for these people. Some might say it's impossible to move that boulder. $1.2 million, are you kidding me? God says, I got it. So you can take the pressure off and you can just be you and I'll just be me and let's just talk about it because money is a part of discipleship. Let's be real, let's be authentic about it and let's remember that we have a God that still moves boulders. And so there they were. There they were. Hundreds of people gathered around the tomb of Lazarus, and there is a giant boulder in the way. And I'm sure they're wondering, serious? Jesus is going to bring him, what? There's a giant boulder there. Hundreds gathered around this immovable boulder. Verse 23, we pick up the story. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says this, it's up on the screen, and let's read it nice and loud together with much enthusiasm. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this, he asked her. Do you believe that I can still move boulders? Do you believe that I can even overcome death? To which then he proceeds to go over to the tomb and call Lazarus out of the tomb. And it stinks, people. Literally. And it stinks. Some of you are going to get that joke on the way home. It stinks. He's been in there for four days. Jesus raises him from the dead. And why does that matter? Because not too long after that, Jesus does it himself. You've heard of wedding crashers? Jesus was the original funeral crasher. And he ruined his own funeral. And through the resurrection, Jesus says to us today, I have removed any boulders today that could possibly stand in the way of you and being in relationship with me, namely your sin and your death, not to mention the power of evil, the power of hell, the power of darkness. And those are pretty big boulders. And after this weekend and what happened on Friday in Paris, it, it can seem so dark. And it's at times like this that the world clearly runs out of things to say. So without any answers, what we start to do is make up reasons and we say, well, this tragedy happened for this reason or for this group of people and we start judging, we start pointing fingers and hatred towards certain groups of people. Yes, hate is real and so is love. Evil is very real. And it should be confronted. Darkness is very real, but never forget, so is the light. And when the world has nothing left to say, there's only one voice that can pierce through that silence and actually say something useful and meaningful at a time like this. There's only one thing that needs to be said at moments like this. And it's the voice of Jesus saying, I am. 
I am the resurrection and the life. No matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens in your world, no matter what you face, evil will never get the final word because the final word has already been spoken by Jesus and the final word is victory. Amen? The final word's already been spoken. The war is already won. And today we ache and we mourn, and some of you for a variety of reasons of whatever's going on in your life, and we cry this side of heaven. But because we know how the story ends, we can live today with hope. And that's why we built a building, folks. That's why we built a building. And you might think, oh, that's a cute little Bible story, and Jesus healed Lazarus from the dead. But you know what? That doesn't have any effect on what we do today. And why in the world, how can that connect to having a building? About a year ago, there was a gentleman that was a part of our church. And he called me up one day and he said, I want to get baptized. And he was middle-aged and he was a part of our breakfast club group. And he said, I want to get baptized, but I want to tell you my story first. And you want to talk about a story. He'd been through everything, and most people would say, kick to the curb. But this gentleman, there's a couple things I remember about him. He loved breakfast. He loved the Vikings, which I forgave him for. And he loved this church. And he loved Jesus. And there were some huge boulders that God had removed in his life, and so about a year ago, I had the privilege of, just like I did for Lauren this morning, I had the opportunity to look him in the eyes and say that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. You are his. And several months later, I'm officiating his funeral. Because we don't always understand why things happen the way they do. And I could not help but look at this text today that we have the scripture that we have and think about that moment and think about why we exist as a church is because I got to stand up at his funeral and I would not have gotten to do this if God wouldn't have moved in his life and if he wouldn't have felt the love and the compassion and the acceptance of this church community. He experiences Jesus in a powerful way and I can stand up at his funeral and repeat the words that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whether it's a heart attack or it's terrorism in Paris, those boulders are nothing for Jesus. And they're nothing for whatever you're facing today. Jesus has the victory. He knows the end of the story. And because we know the end of the story, we can live with hope today. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we exist is for people like this gentleman that now are running free, they're running into the arms of Jesus. There's nothing he can't overcome for us as a church, a a million-dollar debt, your, your own death, your own sin, there's nothing he can't overcome. And so I just felt like it was fitting as we close today to remind ourselves of this story one more time that we have a God that moves boulders. We have a God that moves boulders just as he did on the third day. Let's remember the story today. Watch this. Who says we can't have Easter in November, amen? It's Easter every day, baby, because Jesus is alive, amen? 
and he is the resurrection and the life. So what I want to invite you to do this morning is to stand, and we're just going to sing a couple verses of a song that you know. Regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in your life, Jed's going to lead us in these words that you know so well. Let's sing it out loud together. doesn't matter how you sound. Sing it like you mean it, folks. We have a God that still moves boulders. Amen? Let's worship. Amen. 